So welcome everybody and uh, welcome to our Grand Rounds, which is our first part of our uh, the first Northern New England Residency Advocacy Summit. So I really want to welcome our friends from Vermont. faculty and members of the AAP leadership from Vermont and our friends from Maine. So after Grand Rounds, we'll be, all be in Auditorium H and I want to extend a special invite to, at noon. We're doing a resident advocacy workshop. Um, Dr. Ben Hoffman, who's the director of the uh, Community Pediatrics Training Initiative is with us and will lead us through a discussion there. So please join us at noon in Auditorium H. So let me introduce Dr. Kyle Yasuda, who is the 2018 President-Elect of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Uh, Dr. Yasuda has practiced pediatrics for 34 years, currently at the University of Washington School of Medicine, where he uh, attended medical school and did his residency. He is clinical professor and medical director of the Associated Pediatric Clinics. He's also served as the medical director for Public Health Seattle King County, and is lead pediatric consultant for Best Starts Kids, a $400 million voter-supported initiative in King County, Washington, that focuses on prevention and early intervention from prenatal to 24 years of age. Kyle has done just about everything there is to do with the American Academy of Pediatrics. He's been president of the Washington chapter, district chair, and will be president next year. Dr. Yasuda received the Stanley Stam Role Model in Medicine Award from the University Pediatric Residency Program and the Academic Pediatric Association's Teaching Program Award in 2014. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Kyle Yasuda. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Are we all set here, Keith? That should work. Hey, thank you so much. It, it's, it's really exciting to be here. Can you folks hear me? Yes. Cool. I, I learned one thing this morning. The coffee in the northeast part of the country has a lower caffeine level than the northwest. <laughs> and, I, and I'm still waiting for my caffeine to kick in. I think, Dr. Hoffman, you would agree with that. Totally. You know, it's just like I, I woke up in my hotel room, put on the Keurig, brew a cup of coffee, watch CNN, turned off CNN, drank a cup of coffee, and I still didn't wake up, you know? So anyway, I'm really excited to be here, uh, especially, especially for the inaugural <laughs> Northern, God, I got to get this right, Northeast <laughs> Pe um, Pediatric Resident Advocacy Day. Right. You have too many of the same letters that start off words, and I get in trouble with that, you know. <laughs> so, no, it really is, because... You know, it's all about collaboration. It's all about collaboration. It's all about relationships. You know, our academy, that's what our organization is built on. Seeing this kind of energy in this room and, and last night is just fabulous. I think this is going to go on for perpetuity, and, and I'm just so excited for all of you. It would be really great. You know, the problem with, with, with this lovely oak, Kathy, you need a touch screen. I just got the remote. Okay. Oh, okay, I can do it this way. I just wanted to just put my notes down a little bit. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't. Okay. We'll wing. So a little bit of the agenda today in terms of me getting used to, to uh, Kathy's uh, laptop and, and everything else here. Um, what I'm going to do is share a little bit about myself. Uh-oh. We're going too fast. A little bit about myself. Um, we're going to talk about what, what's... Here's a mouse for my computer, if that's... Oh, helpful. thank you so much. This is... Well... Technology. Technology is... Yeah, it's, stop, it's stopping me. You know, I, I think when, when I crossed the Rockies, everything stopped. Stop. Technology. So forward, backwards. You're trying to get this to yeah, go. Yeah, I was trying to get that to go. Okay. I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. Okay, well, <laughs> such is life. We'll, we'll improvise here. So a little bit about myself, a little bit about the challenges that we're facing in, in 2018, 2019. Um, I think that would be real important. And, and a little bit, the most important part is what you can take home and what kind of links and what kind of references you have that, that will be useful 
to you as you think about how to collaborate and work together. I think that would be real key. So that, that's the kind of the general format. I've got nothing to disclose that's of note. But I, I've got to tell you, this is where I was last Thursday. Um, I, was, I was spending a week off the grid, as they would say, in northern British Columbia, where I go every, every week for a couple decades. So it's pretty traditional. And I was looking downstream before uh, leaving and going up to a, a motel. And I was feeling pretty good, the impact of Mother Nature on me, and it might hopefully gave me more resiliency for this next year. Little did I realize what I was in store for when I got to um, the town of Smithers. Of course, the motel I was staying at had TV and had CNN. I, I, so I turned on CNN last Thursday, just remember what was going on. <laughs> then, of course, then they called home. Say, called home. And, you know, I, I, just, just to check in with the other FAAP of our relationship, <laughs> there wasn't the usual, oh, hi, hi, honey, how are you? How was the fishing trip? Did you avoid the grizzly bears or anything else, you know? Especially when I'd fallen in the river twice that week and floated downstream a little bit, drank a little bit of river water and things like that. That was a little challenging. No, it was, oh, my God, have you been listening to what's happening? I mean, just ballistic, ballistic. She had just gotten home from being in clinic. And that day was, as, she would, as I would call it, be suboptimal, since this is being uh, stored for future viewing, hopefully not. Um, I won't use the expletives that were coming over the phone. You know, so every mother who came in with their child that day was just going crazy in their office. Nothing to do with their child. It was what was going across social media, the instantaneous tweeting from our senators and representatives in Congress. So it was, oh, how should I say, it was visceral. It was totally visceral. It was totally uniform, and it was totally immediate. The reactions that parents were having, and, and when I heard that, just threw my flash drive in the water, and, and you know, just wrote off my my presentation for today. So I have to do a few altering things. So we're going to kind of digress a little bit. <laughs> because I, I just needed to, to digress after getting eviscerated there a little bit. So something about myself. I, I, I firmly believe in, a, in this is a steelhead uh, fish. It is a um, kissing cousin to the rainbow trout, but it is a fish that goes to the ocean and comes back. Anadromous, as they would say in the fishing science. Uh, Jimmy Valvano is on the, on the right. He's an incredible inspirational person to me. Um, what, you know, the major ed educators, I learned something uh, all through residency, maybe not, not enough. They say that 75% of the attendees to any type of presentation remember the first five to ten minutes. <laughs> and at the, and the last couple minutes of the presentation. In between, it's all fluff. So what, what I want you to remember is, is to think about what, an anadromous fish has to go through to go after being spawned, go downriver, go into the ocean, and come back. <laughs> number one. Number two, I, I want at my second to the last slide today, you'll have an update on the blueprint for children. And there are a couple, there are three links on there. You should get that. One of the links is only two pages long, the other eight. The other one, the first one is. 51, so you don't really don't want to do that one. Um, then, then I want you to think about Jimmy Valvano, about his passion as, and, and energy as we look at working for kids and families in this next year. So those are the, those are the th couple things. So, you know, you all know about salmon and things like that. that you know, the, the challenges of the environmental problems after being born and kind of growing up in the river, 
and, and go out to the ocean feeding and coming back. You, you can think of every climactic logging, urbanization, anything that impacts them. That's a tough life. That's a tough life. And that's a tough life that a lot of our children and families go through. A little different context, but similar. Jimmy, who, who knows Jimmy Valvano? Oh, God bless your soul. <laughs> so, so for those of you who don't, let me tell you a little bit about Jimmy Valvano. Oh, let me go back one step. One thing you should know about myself is I, I root for the underdog. I am a perennial underdog rooter. That's why I'm a Seattle Mariners fan. <laughs> That's why I watch, oh, God, the Seahawks lose their second chance to get the Super Bowl from the one-yard line. You know, but we continually I root for the underdog. So in 1983, Jimmy Valvano was the coach of North Carolina State University men's basketball team. The underdog of all underdogs for that tournament, March Madness. So they knock off the number one seed to win the championship, Houston. Just fabulous, just energetic. Ten years later, um, ESPYs. Anybody watch ESPYs or heard about ESPYs? I saw a few hands. Perfect. So on the ESPYs, on ESPN, he receives the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage. Of course, he has disseminated cancer that time, unfortunately. But he walk, walks upstage and gives an impassionate speech. And you can find it on YouTube. And every year before legislative session, I watch that. <laughs> need energy. We need energy. In that speech, he says there are three things that we should do every day. We should use our minds and think. We should laugh. And we should have our emotions move to tears. So we should think. We should laugh. We should cry. And that's a good day. And I agree with him. That's one hell of a day. Other things he said is, don't give up, don't ever give up. So no matter what challenges we face advocating for our families and kids, we just don't give up, we don't ever give up. And lastly, he says, be a dreamer. <coughs> be a dreamer. If you don't dream, you die. Okay, so those, those are the words of Jimmy Valvano that were inspirational to me. And, and, and helps me um, develop my guiding principles in terms of, of av child advocacy. I want to be innovative. I want to communicate effectively. And lastly, I want to constantly connect. So uh, hopefully I keep that in my mind as I move forward and how to put kids first, given those guidelines. So why is this important at this stage? You know, as with all the steelhead and salmon in our rivers, our, our culture and values are at risk right now. Our mission remains the same. We want to obtain optimal physical, mental, social health for, and well-being for all our kids and families. And, to, and with the accomplishments, the health and well-being and professional needs of our members. But how we achieve our mission has changed, has evolved. Communication methods have evolved. I, I was sitting here thinking when, when Dr. Chapman was introducing me, when, when I first became president of the Washington chapter and did a survey of our members of how many people just had email. Because I didn't want to do paper tracking. You know, 5% of members of the state of Washington chapter had email. That wasn't that long ago. <laughs> Please. <laughs> the, the other thing that's um, critical is the collaboration between the chapters. I'm really excited to have three chapters here. And when our national office is, is just so important. And what is, what is at, at stake here is significant. Supreme Court nominations, midterm elections. There are a number of people up for elections next month. But more important, importantly, equally, or perhaps more important, is what's going on locally at the state level, the governors and all the state legislators. That impacts the grassroots approach and how we deal with 
child health issues. The key issues are the same as you see on the right, access to care, immigrant child health, Medicaid, firearm safety. I just love putting marijuana up there from the West Coast, you know? <laughs> Immunization, mental health policies. Okay, this is my, uh, I just got full disclosure. I, uh, I admired Dr. First all these years for putting this together. And so for those of you from Vermont, please pass on my words to him. This is the first and perhaps the last time I'm ever going to do a list like this. So, so what are the characteristics of us? How do we put kids first? What's, what's our inherent nature? So let's, let's try doing this. So we're passionate, we're persistent, and we're pediatricians. We are enthusiastic, dedicated, determined. Of course, we're innovative, adept, timely. We believe in the team. We're respected, influential, collaborative, caring, and compelling, and systematic. That's enough synonyms I, I could find. <laughs> but that's us. So we've, we've got the DNA uh, in us to do this. More than ever, advocacy is a team sport. Coordination, amplification, and mobilization. Three words that just kind of remember that as you move forward in this coming year. You all advocate for your families and kids in your clinics, locally, statewide, and nationally. And when we all are in this challenge, because kids don't vote, as we all know, they don't have super PACs. We are able to synthesize our expertise into understandable messaging. We humanize complex health issues. We connect. We connect with parents. We connect with families. And we're trusted. We're, we're trusted for our opinion. You know, back, way back yonder in the 1800s, our founder of pediatrics, Abraham Jacoby, said that it was evident then that an emphasis on advocacy would comprise a core aspect of our profession. It's in our DNA. There's no way you're going to methylate it out of us. <laughs> but important is team. And then what I want to share is what I, what I believe is our, our team. And it's really hard to be in the Northeast. Well, well the Petrus is doing terrible this year, so I'm really happy. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. I'm just, uh, it was tough sitting in Logan Airport and watching these Patriots jerseys go by, keeping my head down, you know. Okay, so our team comprised of all of us, all pediatricians, all members of the Academy of Pediatrics, all of us. The state chapters are incredibly important in our efforts moving forward. Councils, sections, committees of the AAP, including the section on of pediatric trainees, the largest section in the academy. I think it was 12, 13,000 strong right now. Very important to us. The, we, we collaborate with community organizations, state agencies, and legislators. We have several branches of the National Academy that we all need to be familiar with, our federal government affairs, and the division of state government affairs. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. And, the Department on uh, Community and Chapter Affairs also. The team is the same, but the playbook has changed. We've got to approach things a little differently. Okay, a little bit about federal affairs. This is an unbelievable department that we have. A resource that is incredible, and we should all take advantage of it. So what do they do? They have the base out of D.C. and the other Washington. They're, they're focused on 
advocacy training, some of the things they're focusing on. Let, let, let me succinctly put it. They track everything regarding child health that's going on in Congress. And they're amazing. They're just amazing. I cannot, I cannot underscore how important a resource they are. And when you look at the blue, uh, some of the, the references and resources that I have listed in the last, second to the last slide, you'd get blown out of the water. I could not, it's amazing. So they do advocacy trainings, they coordinate federal testimonies, briefings on the Hill, amicus briefs, regulations, and, and a lot of grassroots arrangements. State government affairs, you take it down to the state level. They track legislative activities at our state, an important resource to our chapters in terms of issues, because they have a, their finger on the pulse of what's going across this, the country and can share that among the states. So when marijuana legislations popped up in Washington and Colorado and spreading out west, you know, information can be dispersed readily and effectively. It is a partnership and it's really important. Okay, grassroots advocacy. You know, this is probably the best thing that comes over my email every week automatically. And you folks should sign up for it if you're interested in federal advocacy. It's a one-pager that comes over and tells me what, what is going on that week or that day that is important and when we need to be activated. Communicating effectively, constantly, key thing. Because why is this as important? Well, hope is not a, we, we hope that the world would be better. We hope our kids and families will all be better. But that's not going to get the work done. So it's, it's not an effective strategy. It, we, we have to engage chapters. We have to build coalitions, mobilize our members. And we just got to be speaking out for our children and families. <coughs> So as, as I was on the phone a week, week, little less than a week ago, I, I needed to figure out what the heck I was going to talk about now. And I want to focus a little bit about social and conventional me media distribution methods that contributed to the visceral reaction from last Thursday. Just a just um, word of disclosure, because Social media, I didn't grow up with that in, in, in my generation. And even no matter how much I tried to alter my DNA, it's still not part of my DNA yet. I, I have some consultants to help me out. Not only, we have an incredible communication team at the academy that trying, is trying to educate me. They're trying really hard. <laughs> I also have um, some colleagues, um, and, and you'll see their pictures. And we'll, that has helped help me with some information. But let, let me kind of just share this with you. This blew me out of the water. So this is worldwide. You know, we've got about 7.6 billion people in the world. We've got about 3 billion users. This is a global issue. This is not Kyle Yasuda tweeting. This is a whole communication system that is global. <laughs> Social media is an effective platform for educating the public, news media, and other advocates that can be supporters for our cause. These, this, these numbers are astounding. This is just a little a factoids. You know, 57% of us get news from TV, physicians use social media about 90% of the time for personal reasons, and about two-thirds of the time for professionals. <coughs> Remember what I said earlier, we are a trusted source. Our child care workers are also a trusted source. What do you have in the inserted there is a, a tweet from Elizabeth Mead. She's the former chair of the uh, section of early career physicians and one of my mentors in this area. 
you know, media is a flood that loops the bad info out, and there will be truth. We are the experts. So, you know, everything you see on the internet is it must be true, correct? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to give you some examples they might be interested in. So what, what can we do in social media and what can't we do? We can certainly listen and monitor what's going on in our communities and in our country and in the world. We can engage our colleagues. We can engage our parents. We can engage legislators. We can disseminate content and we can create our own brand, which is really important. <clears throat> I'm kind of laughing to myself. What we can't do, and I'm just going to go to the punchline since Keith is here, is contradict your institution or media policies. <laughs> we just start with that. You, know, you can't do that. The other part of the stuff is like arguing, go, going rogue, and things like that. Are, are, you know, we, all, we all have that sense. So you ask yourself, what is your digital footprint? What, what are you trying to accomplish? What is your strategic plan in terms of using this method of communication? You've got to understand your audience. It's like any other strategic plan. You've got to understand your audience. Who do you want to disseminate to? What is your point of view? And what kind of commitment are you going to do that? So when you assess any initiative that involves social media, just kind of ask yourselves these questions as you move forward. Oh, so this is an example how one tweet ends up on the news, TV. This is, this is Elizabeth Mead. This is about Medicaid. And, and the conversation that she has, this Molly Shen is a reporter for our, our local uh, TV station, ABC's affiliate. And that leads to a, a follow-up messaging um, by the producer of the TV news segment, wanted to include information that was tweeted by Elizabeth. A tweet by a physician, a trusted source, ends up on the news. Powerful. <laughs> So you ask yourselves, well, what's the data that our tweets get opened and read? So this is just a couple, couple points to make here. We had two campaigns in terms of social media, you know, keep kids covered and don't cap my care during the uh, ACA. Uh, oh, I don't know. I'm <laughs> lost of words. The challenge. How would you get that? And, and these numbers blew my mind. So let's say, keep kids covered. You know, there were about 12,000 posts by 4,800 individuals, but it reached 11.3 million folks. 11.3 million. I don't have that many followers, you know. <laughs> don't cap my care. You know, 8,500 posts, 3,000 individuals participating, and it reached almost 5 million people. Social media is significant. It is a method of reaching the masses. Can you folks hear that? Barely. This is a video, just kind of some clips on a campaign. <laughs> Visual aids are very effective in social media, and that's why, one of the reasons why I want to show you this.
That's for all the trainees in the audience. <laughs> the energy, we love it. Okay, kind of in summary, you know, direct connect connections with the various people listed above there. You've got to tag them. If their staff and themselves follow that. And be direct in terms of the engagement that, and the questions that you may have. Okay, just a few tips. Twitter's the way to go right now. It might evolve in the next few years. Like I personally try, try trying to get out of Facebook and get out of stay out of that and just go to Twitter route. Everybody's there following it. You know, your messaging needs to be positive or neutral. You connect with hashtags. I guess the visual contents are important and don't get caught up with a Twitter fight. <laughs> you know, this is just to be consistent in how you approach this. It's another example of some social media advocacy in action in terms of some, I don't know how, can you all read that or not really? Okay, forget it then. <laughs> what? On this slide, the important take-home point is to build on the initial digital connections in the real world. You know, and using your phone, email, personal appointments to cement relationships. That is totally foreign to me. My style has been in the past. You sit down and you meet the person first. Talk to them, have coffee, find out, develop a relationship talking. And then you cement it with whatever materials that they need, whatever questions they may have, and follow up that way. The initial introduction these days seems to be on social media, follow up by in-person meeting to cement it off. A little different. That's why I think social media is changing how some of our interactions occur with key how should I say this? Key, key folks involved in child health. Okay, be smart, okay? <laughs> read and reread before you tweet. Know what you're doing. There are other professionalism issues on social media that we need to be aware of. And this, again, is for Keith, so I was, you know. <laughs> um, you need to know some etiquette. This is a slide that, you know, when you, you get a hold of it, this might be useful in terms of how to cite social media in academic work. I, and this slide, I, there are also um, 12 words about social media policies. Actually, if you count don't as two words, then I, I counted wrong. <laughs> you know, so we don't lie. Don't pry, don't cheat, don't delete, don't steal, and don't reveal. This is an example of the power of social media and, and intervening I don't, uh, by pediatricians to change what's being published in a parent's magazine. So a lot of stars came out in, around the vaccine controversy in, you know, in terms of not getting their kids vaccinated. And, and then, of course, pediatricians and pediatricians went ballistic. Debbie Greenhouse is a pediatrician in South Carolina. She's very active on social media. She posted that. That followed by some to Chad uh, Hayes with another comment on Twitter. And, th and that, what that led to is Parents Magazine changing what they publish and, and their approach to things. So the social media response to what was published in a Parents Magazine changed the position of a Parents Magazine. It is powerful. It is really powerful. I cannot underscore how important and how powerful it is. Okay, this is just a summary of what I talked about. 
You can't forget the other methods of communications that we have. The media, in terms of paper, op-eds, are still very, very important. And here's a perfect example. You recognize those two people here? We've got Oprah on the left, Dr. Colleen Kraft, our president. So I'm going to tell you a story of what happened this year. There are some incredible, wonderful pediatricians that are working on the border in Texas, looking after the health and well-being of children and families. And they've been doing this for years. They're just passionate, just wonderful. They invited um, Dr. Kraft to come down and make a site visit back in March and April of this year. Went down with... At that time, all the doors were open to her to go there, see what's going on, take pictures, meet the kids, and things like that. She goes back, comes back, goes to L.A., writes an op-ed piece in the uh, L.A. Times. Gets published. Gets picked up with some different news feeds across the country. And then if you, where's the time mark? Oh, yeah, it's 4.55 a.m. Pacific. She gets a phone call from Oprah. <laughs> phone call. You know that your professional organization has made it when Oprah calls your president. <laughs> you know? Let me tell you, I, I, at that time I said, you know, I'm, I'm really proud to be a member of the Academy of Pediatrics, state chapters, because Oprah listened. Picked up. Oprah asked Colleen the question, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? You engage someone very important in, in culture. And after that conversation, Colleen had an interview on CBS, and the flood doors were open. She probably had about 40 to 50 interviews by major and minor um, news organizations, and the word got out. Percolated, Congress picked it up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The issues hasn't changed over the past few years. It's, it's always been there. But it's serendipity, it is timing, and is the persistent energy that led to this dispersal of information and education of our public. It's amazing. It was amazing what, what happened. Okay, so this is just, I'm just listing out a few things that over this past year, in addition to getting our families and our children at the borders recognized, we accomplished a few more things. So it's not all doom and gloom, there's some positive things. You know, Medicaid got protected, CHIP got extended for 10 years, maternal infant, child. Home visit, visiting was funded. We got some child welfare reform legislation. And last but not least is uh, the NIH got some money. Okay, here's a plug. I, 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 the D.C. office is incredible, and annually we have a, a legislative conference in D.C. This year... People that intended included leaderships from committees, councils, and sections. There were over 350 attendees, 80 medical students and residents and fellows, representing 50 states, D.C., Puerto Rico. Every, every Senate office was visited. Over 270 visits on one day by pediatricians to Congress. An unbelievable movement of force to present the issues that are important to child health. So the plug is, next year, April 7th through the 9th, the next conference. And especially for the trainees, love to have you there again. Okay. You know, I just want to remind us all that the Academy of Pediatrics is our professional home. So proud to be a member of it. You know, we stand for optimal health, well-being of children, families, and pediatricians. 
We are a team. Got to remember that. We are a team. We need to work together. And we must never, never, ever give up. Okay, a few references, especially from a social media standpoint. <laughs> for that. I always, whenever I go to a, a presentation, I always wanted to know what's hot, what's new, what, what, what is different. So this is hot off the press. This is at 4 o'clock yesterday, 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon, I was sitting in Logan Airport. My phone tells me I got a message from the academy. And they, they release, well, it could have been my talk. <laughs> but anyway, this is the links. Number one was the Blueprint for Children, How the Next President Can Build a Foundation for Healthy Future, published 216 September. So it's before the election. It went to both sides, to both candidates, to give them a foundation. It is so in-depth and in detail and rich. And you wonder where kids' health falls into what's going on in the country, that's a great resource. You can look on whether it's environmental, whether it's communicable diseases, things like that. You can just look at that. The next one, link, tells you a little bit of what has happened in the past two years in Congress. And what I, I kind of highlighted five things, and they'll, they'll be in there too, but there's more than that that happened positively. And last but not least, the talk of Kyle Yasuda um, is what's new and next for child health advocacy. Last night at dinner, so this is really important. Okay, this is the 2% at the end of the talk that you need to remember. <laughs> the, the other thing, uh, last night at dinner, you know, people were saying, well, we, we heard that our new headquarters of the academy is really cool, really neat, but no one's seen pictures of it. Okay, so this is, we have a little entertainment here. Okay, the building in the back is are the headquarters. There are two signs that says no fishing, no, no swimming, no boating, as you walk the trail from the Western Hotel over to our headquarters. I just drove me nuts. And it's because, you know, reportedly there, there is this fish in that pond there. <laughs> Okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Internists, family doctors, um, and how the academy um, plans on sort of mobilizing all the other uh, activists. Fabulous question. Fabulous question. And critical. Because when we go to Capitol Hill, we don't go as one organization. It is real important to be cohesive, House of Medicine, per se. So what we, we call it the Gang of Six. Internists, OB, I hope I can count this right. Pediatricians, internists, OB, um, psychiatrists, yeah, family. Nice. And there's another one, right? I'm missing one. <sighs> anyway, the gang of six goes together and meets with key congressional folks. So they're, they really, the organizations are becoming more collaborative, more in terms of moving issues forward. See, if the caffeine was higher in, in Northeastern coffee, I would get those six, correct? Um, I'll give you an example of what, a story that happened on their first encounter as a group of six. But from one of the um, congressional folks, he said, well, you, you doctors, you, 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 you just are from organizations that are just out to make money, and you don't represent the doctors in the communities. And, and the response was to that is that, well, we represent over 500,000 doctors in the country. And, and that just killed it right there. The group of six, the gang of six, represents the majority of practicing doctors in the country. And when they go together en masse to talk to legislators, it has an impact. 
Now, you can do the same thing at the local level, which is really important. At the state levels, forming your own group of six or four or three, whatever. But being en masse, when you have an issue that you can agree upon to move forward, is very key. The collaboration is very key. Thank you. Yeah. As a follow-up to that, um, thank you for this wonderful tour of the AAP resources. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the position of AAP with respect to nurse practitioner practice? The, the position of the academy, and it's, it's evolving with uh, NPs, they're you know, we're, view, we're viewing it as a, they're part of the team, an integrated team. I think the challenges that are being faced are uh, when large organizations acquire a pediatric practices and replace pediatricians with nurse practitioners, there's a little friction with that situation. The National Nurse Practitioner, uh, NAPNAP, the National Association of Nurse Practitioners, agree with us in terms of the team concept and working in conjunction with the pediatrician, but that is certainly a, a challenge and as their scope and desire to move forward, independence goes on. So it's a work in progress. You say that um, New Hampshire AAP changed its bylaws last year to invite and welcome nurse practitioners in as full members of the New Hampshire chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics, focusing on advocacy and quality improvement as the two stop top strategic goals. And we're just having our first nurse practitioner join our executive board this year. Please join. Can I ask, is there anything different with PAs? PAs also are, are, are very similar in terms of they're part of our academy, the members. And for New Hampshire, the same goes. Um, so first, I moved out from Seattle like 25 years ago and waited. Why did you leave? Oh, sir. Show, show up. Um, I have like eight different ways to make coffee in my house. Um, but my question is for people who are old, um, and know who Oprah is instead of Beyonce. Is there some kind of tutorial on how to affect, like, how to, like, the logistics of social media? And I'm glad to hear that still writing letters to editors works, but... <laughs> <laughs> if someone tweets me how to use Twitter, it's not going to work. <laughs> Can I just interrupt and say that and it was very timely because yesterday Kelly Rose, a program coordinator, our chief resident Sydney Hartman and I sat with an hour with our social media people. I will paraphrase this. Somebody said in that room, because I was clearly the oldest in the room, it's like teaching your mom how to tweet. Yes. <laughs> it just doesn't go well. So, um, my kids have taught me Instagram and Snapchat, but they're not tweeting, so I don't know what to mean. So I echo that. For those of us who are more senior in the room, trying to harness the power of social media does seem like speaking a foreign language that I was not raised on, I am not fluent in, and I will invariably make mistakes that are embarrassing children. <laughs> <laughs> they are on Instagram, though. Yeah. And so our social media person was very clear about what our platforms are and in no way am I disparaging Beyonce in any way, shape, or form. No, I, I, what I would just um, remind folks is it's a team, and having your, your cohorts or your teams, your members of your team who know Twitter really well can help. There's also the Academy has some resources too to help get you jump started. Um, which it takes a little while. I think I was not on Twitter until the election of 2016 or 2017, and it takes a while to get that. Don't, I wouldn't get frustrated, but there is some research. If just, I just lean on my social media con consultants a lot. To help. Can I just say a plug for LegCon? They have a great, if you get a chance to go, it's wonderful, and there's a lot of really young 
people there, and they did a seminar on getting onto Twitter, and that was that was really useful at LegCon. So what can you share for the, the LegCon? Oh, it's the, the legislative conference with the big fly in DC, and and they had a wonderful, you know, lots of young people that really understood that stuff. Like <laughs> they speak the language, that did a great <laughs> seminar on that on how to get set up on Twitter. And they actually set, will sit you down and set you up with a Twitter account and get you, get you going. That's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> Be nice. So get, just get on Twitter, follow a couple of good people. Follow Kyle, follow Colleen Kraft, follow some of the folks in the DC office, um, and you'll see what a good tweet is. And you can just be on there for a little while and you'll figure it out. Um, and in, in line with making a plug for the legislative conference, the Community Peach Training Initiative has um, every year four to six grants uh, that we give to a faculty resident pair from an institution to bring them to the legislative conference um, with a proposal to collaborate with their state chapter on something. And it could be around training, community health and advocacy, figure out a specific project. Um, the, Dartmouth got one last year. I think Vermont had one a couple of years before. Uh, I think it's been a while for Maine, so you guys should seriously think about it. <laughs> and it's the kind of thing that we want. Those, like, they're really important grants, and we will do everything we can to help you get it. Um, so, and, and there also are independent scholarships for residents to be able to, for residents and other trainees to be able to travel to legislative conference. I think I've been now eight or nine times. And I learn something every single time. It's absolutely amazing. Great. That's our DC office. Yep. Ask Dr. Ben Hoffman. It's at Cal Yasuda MD. He doesn't put your Twitter handle up there. Oh, I have, I have to, it's, it's, it's changing next year. That will, well, you'll be AAP Press next year, but you'll still keep Cal Yasuda. So, so well, thanks, Dr. Yasuda. But our turn to for the rest of the morning. I mean, if you can join us, please do. And thanks again, Kyle.